Hey, Mason. What are we Wait. doing right now? Wait, we're live? Yeah, I mean, yes, now. Oh, okay, sweet. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, last episode, um, with the foresight that comes from existing in the future, uh, to from a certain perspective, we're able to know there were, the last episode got turned into two. Uh, last episode we talked about... <laughs> it's assorted, magic. Yes. Uh, sort of like tools and, and ways to approach prepping as a GM. Um, and we wanted to kind of do some practical hands-on stuff, Trevor. Um, and Trevor here came up with a pretty cool idea where we can do it. Why not just do some prep where we each kind of make... go go take, We do a 15-minute sprint of zero to as far as we can get of planning a one-shot adventure. Um, that's pretty much the only rule for it. We're going to, we, we actually, a secret between you and me, listener, um, Trevor doesn't need to know this, but we have already done this twice. Um, Trevor does know that he doesn't need to know that, you know, um, I'm disappointed in it. Um, they were dope. You know Um, what also I'm disappointed in? And my name is Trevor. This is Mason. We're talking together. We kick the other oh, two people out because this is the, GM prep. And the name of this podcast. Yes, thank you. <laughs> the name of the freaking show is the Bards and the Bees. Like I can't. It, it, it's funny to put in the jingle, which um, sadly that was going to be in a live episode, um, but that was actually one of the episodes we lost the audio from. Um, I'm going to love putting that in there every single time. I'm also going to be very ashamed every time I have to put that in an episode because <laughs> I'm the last to do it. And so I should easily be the one to remember to say the name of the freaking show. <laughs> so but, anyway, this is the Bards and Bees. We're going to talk a little bit about what a reasonable GM would need to prepare to do a one-shot. Um, we will probably largely be coming from this the point of view of Dungeons and Dragons, but uh, Mason in particular has a lot of experience in other systems. Um, so his could be focused in many different directions, and that might be more useful for systems agnostic people. Um, I have largely played in 5th edition, so mine will probably be more focused in that direction, but uh, D&D in general would be uh, the area I could point in pretty easily. Yeah, and the big thing is we're not going to be like, oh, drawing up stat blocks. Like, what we're going to do is we're going to do this 15-minute sprint where we come up with the concept of what we want to do in this one shot. And then we're just going to go back and forth and talk to each other about what we would need to do to get it to the point that we can run that session. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like we, we said, we had recorded this episode already, um, but due to my superior knowledge of the internet, I managed to corrupt most of the audio and only get 30 minutes out of the 90 minutes we recorded now in fairness you didn't corrupt any audio you just used up all the cash in chrome yeah that's that's fair but um so we took 15 minutes and in the lost recording mason came up with a pretty sweet one shot that uh had like modern day slash maybe early 2000s teenagers finding something creepy slash extraterrestrial in the woods and then having to having to figure out if it was real and then figure out a way to 
convince an authoritative figure that what they saw was actually real. So like having to gather evidence and kind of this adventure arc of where they see this creepy thing at the beginning of the adventure, then have to figure out what it is, then have to convince people that what they saw is real and deal with it in some way. All while all maintaining the illusion that they are definitely at a sleepover at a friend's house and not way deep. In yeah, the not getting in trouble with their parents. Yeah. Um, which, which is a cool idea for an adventure. That'd be super fun to play. Yeah, like, th- that, that's a classic story that hits a lot of just very familiar beats. And, and the nice thing about that one, I really approach it as, like, kind of a, a beginner's intro to D&D, like, someone or multiple people's first time playing. Because it's something that's immediately just graspable of, like, I understand the story beats and the mechanics and the places are all very familiar. So I don't have to deal with, you know, the weight of mechanics and systems as mm-hmm. much. And then I uh, took a slightly more challenging route, which I'll probably do again uh, because I, I kind of like uh, getting some sort of story set before me so I don't have to come up with everything, being locked into something and having to make it work. Um, I rolled uh, something called story dice. Some people might be familiar with them, but if they're not, they're basically just dice that have pictures on them. And you Mm -hmm. roll the dice, and whatever you roll, you just go, okay, I have to make a story with what's on these dice. So it could um, could be a pine tree, a hand, a house, a castle, and a magic wand. So how do you make a story out of those five items? Um, The story I ended up coming up with was how a uh, crown prince had been attacked at sea, and you guys had, there was a huge reward put out for anybody who could find him. And the party would basically have to rush towards the wreckage that was in the bay right outside the city and look around for him, and you would find some clues um, and realize maybe who did it but then you would have to go catch up with the crown prince and he would let you know that one of his uh, political rivals tried to have him assassinated and you would have to go intercept the political rival before he could get back to his hideout. And that's kind of how the adventure would end. Yeah. One of the cool things about, one of the cool things about that particular adventure arc that Trevor came up with was there was a lot that could be decided just as the players went through that would help set the tone and would kind of help define the ending a little bit where um it it could ultimately the rival's intentions could kind of be tweaked and nudged to better fit the tone and vibe the players the table had set throughout the session um to make sure it was thematically appropriate whether you know they were genuinely trying to kill the prince or they wanted to like steal his diary so they could expose it he really really likes you know writing fan fiction about the rats that live in the larder or whatever you know whether it's slightly more serious or comedic he could kind of he had a plan to adjust it on the fly so it would fit it would fit the plot beats that he'd set out but the actual events would feel very thematically appropriate to the night that it happened with the players once they got there and that's a really important thing to do with one shots in my opinion and D&D in general, but especially one-shots, where you... It, I, I would argue that most GMs would agree when I say you're going to plan more for a one-shot than almost any other session. And when mm-hmm. you plan that much, it's easy to get a very clear series of events in your head. 
And so leaving space for that to kind of shift as you go is, is very healthy. Yeah. Yeah. A one shot is interesting because by definition, you kind of have to finish it in one evening, you know, three to four to six hours, depending on how available and willing your group playing is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you don't want to drag it to the six hour mark and have everybody like, dr- like miserable. You you don't want a one shot to overstay its welcome. Yeah. Set like a maximum time limit you are willing to spend there that is informed by the people attending and try and cut it early by at least half an hour. Honestly, would be my argument. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If, if it, at all possible. The, the difficult thing about a one shot is sometimes you prepare for all of these different situations, but they don't happen and you have an hour left. So then you just have to basically throw everything out you prepared and drive, like just run straight at the conclusion. Uh, but yeah, like that is kind of the point, you know? You want to have a capstone on the adventure. You want to have this feeling of success. Uh, one, one thing I just remembered um, that actually is somewhat of note. Um, there is a risk when doing one-shots that is a weakness I have where... Um, Last episode, we talked about MacGuffins as a refresher. They're just an object that moves the plot forward. Um, one-shots tend to be about those when I make them, just because it's an easy plot structure, right? You need to go get check these boxes to go defeat the evil, you know? Mm-hmm. But tr- cramming all of that in, in one session, it feels just very shopping list-like. Um, and mm-hmm. that's a criticism I have rightly received about some of my one-shots, because I do better planning long stuff that... that like with a one shot, it has to be just you're done. I I have had plenty of one shots that have turned into three session arcs. Oh yeah, definitely. You know, that that three session arcs are a lot more comfortable for me. But if it's just we're doing this for someone's birthday, and we have four hours, it's very easy to plan out this very big thing and then just run out of time, and so then the pacing feels all wrong. Mm-hmm. And so leaving yourself room to strip stuff out and make it streamlined and feel like an actual game and be fun as opposed to we're doing chores is, is important. And that there, there's an art to it. And you're, you're going you're gonna to fall a little to one side of the balance or another sometimes, and that's okay, as long as you're aware of it and, and mm-hmm. trying to adjust. Yeah. And part of the reason we wanted to do this 15-minute challenge is, is we're talking about GM prep. Um, but we talked about like big, like philosophical, overarching ideas Mm -hmm. about prep we feel like this would be a more tangible way to see how both of us prepare and we both prepare in very different ways um just a heads up people think differently about different things and if you think one way versus another that's fine you just need to hone in on how you think and figure out how to make that work for you yeah um and and so we'll kind of run through we'll give each other 15 minutes to just brainstorm an idea and then we'll talk about how much prep time they would need after that 15 minutes to actually get this ready to play um and like what what tangible things we would need whether that's maps whether that's npcs with backstories whether that is mechanics ready to go sheets monster stats yeah like what kind of things we would feel want to have ready to feel comfortable to run it um because 
we want to give the listener something tangible uh, to think about while running. You don't have to use all of these ideas. Some of them might be complete hogwash to you. But if something here sticks with you, that's kind of what we're hoping for. Yeah, and, and one of the other things we're going to highlight is, you know, we talk all, a lot about where we're going to prep the things we're bad at, right? And and so that's going to be unique to us and our, us as an individual. For example, the last one, um, when we did this, the recordings we lost, the, the session I made was like a fairly lightweight modern era thing. So it's like, and it was going to be set in the valley I live in. So all the mapping, all that kind of stuff is done. The setting stuff is done. Trevor and I talked a little bit about it. And we're like, ultimately, like if we really had to, we could probably run the thing now more prep would make it better, here's how, right? And that, that's another thing to think about when you're prepping as well is how much are you going to get out from where you're working? Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's something we'll probably talk about more at the end of this as well. Um, yeah. Um, so something we haven't done this recording session is do you want to just roll initiative to see who yeah. goes first? I was going to say, let's, let's just get into it. I think we've, we've discussed the concept thoroughly. Mm. So, you know how I finally rolled above a four last time? Uh-huh. It was the first time ever I'd rolled above a four? That didn't happen again. I got a three. <laughs> well, um, it is impressive because I got a two. <laughs> so, See, like, it looks was, like we'll be you're... going in the same order. The way you approached it, I was, like, expecting you to say, oh, not one. And that would have been at least, like, comedically appropriate. But no, not two is, like, almost more insulting when it's, like... <laughs> Yeah, that's funny. Um, okay, let's get going. You got a timer for me? Since it is your turn to go, we'll get this timer started and just kind of talk us through your process, keep a stream of consciousness going mm-hmm. so we can follow along. Yeah. Ready, set, and go. Alrighty, so <clears throat> um, especially when I'm trying to do something on a time crunch, um, one of the things I do is I'm going to get a soundtrack going. It's just going to get me in this sort of vibe. We'll talk more about it later, um, but I sent it over your way, Trevor. Copy that. I'll uh, open that. So, uh, we'll skip the... You can skip the first one, just because it's the... Title scene. Title sequence, yeah. Um, so... This one is interesting because I'm actually going to be at least laying the groundwork for a session I am actually going to run in real life that will be a one-shot. Um, a family friend uh, who actually Trevor tangentially knows as well. Yeah. Because he's also run one-shots for them. Um, one of their kids is just really into D&D but doesn't have like a consistent group. So for his birthday, he tries to get a group together and find someone who's a more experienced GM to run a one-shot for them. Um, and I'm doing that roughly a week from the time of recording. Uh, and so... I have not run a, gr- a game for this group before. I did ask uh, both Trevor and the, the 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 family friend what kind of fantasy he likes, all that kind of stuff, so I have an idea for what they want. Um, the answer I got from the mom is classic Lord of the Rings fantasy, just mid to high fantasy stuff, um, adventure, heroism kind of stuff. So it's going to be very classic. Uh, and so I found music kind of hits that vibe for me personally. Um, the toughest thing for this particular session is going to be hitting those broad fantasy sweeps in a contained fashion. I know I'm going to really struggle with pacing with this one. Um, and so the biggest thing I want to get nailed down is the plot points. Classic fantasy, it's going to have combat. It's going to have, you know, some nobility interaction stuff. I can deal with that on the fly, no biggie. 
if I don't have a good plot that's effectively paced for probably a good four hours, I'm going to kill this thing. I know that. Um, because I have tried to run similar ones in the one, in the past, like the Black Cauldron, and I didn't... I did okay, but it was not the best it could have been. Um, over the course of four hours, it needs to have... I, I want to start at the beginning and the end. Um, it needs to have a really strong opening that sets the themes, and a climax that is effective, punchy, and just feels appropriate to end the session. So... Classic fantasy stuff. We're going to have elves, dwarves, all that good D&D, &D, uh, you know, Tolkien jazz. Uh, we're not going to mess too much with the assumptions of the world. Um, I, I, that's just going to make it faster to get the kids into it. So we're going to have, you know, dwarves in the mountains that are bitter with the elves, etc., etc. I'll probably kind of keep it somewhat lighthearted. Um, start them in a city that's, you know, human-run, metropolis-style thing. Um, and, and maybe try and offer them one or two different contracts that kind of end up being... That are seemingly unrelated, but end up in the same place. I actually really like that. Um, what I'm going to do then is there's going to be another adventuring party that they're going to see at the beginning. Maybe, the, you know, they'll all establish, like, some of the characters as rivals, have them buttheads a little bit. They're going to take the other contract and kind of cross paths from time to time. You know, it's like, what are you doing here kind of thing. Um, I think that's really, really neat. Gives a sort of a, a side antagonist the whole way through that is not like the actual big bad guy. They can kind of, I can use that second party to help impact the pacing, right? Um, this is going to be really important because I said pacing is going to be important. Having tools I can use to leverage that is going to be very, very helpful for me. So I have a secondary party of adventurers that also like these are inexperienced players. If I throw something that's too hard at them, I can get some NPCs in there to help them out, as opposed to just, like, fudging numbers. Um, and then that's going to lead to interactions at the end of combat, you know, some, some boasting and some chafing there between the two parties, some conflict that is not violent. I think that'll be cool. Um, I have two contracts that they need to be able to pick up as sort of heroes in this town, wherever they are. Uh, they need to be dangerous to the town. They need to be just classic heroes. So that's pretty clear. Um, I can have one be... I want it to be different, though, as opposed to just, oh, go kill this thing or this thing. You know, kill a dragon or a manticore. That's lame. Um, I want them to... This will be kind of the point where the players pick what adventure they want to be on, what they want the th the theme of their interactions to be. Because um, it's going to end up at the same end point, right? But the journey there is going to be completely different. So one, I think I want to start as a mystery, whether they're doing a lot of, like, investigation, talking to people, you know, um, doing... Not interrogation. I guess interrogations. Yeah, interviews. That's the word. Um, interviewing people, looking for clues, tracking skill stuff, right? And then having conflict along the way. Where the other could just be, there's some goblins out in the forest. Go kill them all and come back and we'll get you a bunch of gold. You know, it may not actually be goblins, but there's just, it's just a bounty, effectively, right? Um, and they go, they kill the bounty, and then along the way they find something else out and have to go that way. And so that's kind of their first two sections. They're get the, the two kind of crossroads they see. Um, the mystery should in some way tie to the bounty, right? That's gonna, that's gonna be kind of the convergence point. It can either tie to the bounty or the next step. The next step I think will be you know the classic sinister thing beyond that. I, I'd like the bounty to be sort of um, a misunderstanding where whatever camp this is, for now I'm just gonna call it the goblin camp. Again, it may not be a goblin camp at the end. But there's the goblin camp out there. They're being blamed for, you know, 
uh, attacking trade caravans and the like, right? And it's disrupting the town. They need some medicine for a disease or whatever, right? Um, the goblins aren't the ones attacking that. And so either path is going to find that out and see, oh, there's a bigger problem. We need to solve it. Who is attacking these caravans, right? Um, the, the mystery will probably be that someone's, you know, son was escorting a caravan and he's been missing. And so they're going to try, go find the son. Um, next step after they find out, oh, the caravans are missing. What is next? I said there's a disease or whatever. I'm just going to run with that, right? Because I need to get this done fast. Uh, I'm going to run with that. There's a, a disease in the town that's been cropping up over the past couple months. It's starting to get worse and they need this medicine really badly. We're going to go with the classic evil wizard up in his tower, kind of set back in the mountains behind the goblin camp, right? He's doing some magical plague experimentation type deal using uh, people who get lost in the woods as his unwitting experimentees. Um, and he's shifted the blame onto the goblins for the caravans, but actually he's looting them for just more alchemical ingredients and also to keep them from curing his darn plague, gosh darn it. Uh... I'm always tempted when I do a wizard's tower to do like an illusionist deal. Um, I don't think it'll work well for this one because it's a one shot. I can't afford to feel, have the players feel like they have lost the avenue in which they're supposed to go, right? That's going to be another pacing issue I need to avoid. So I'm going to say a hard rule. There are no illusions in this tower. There will be traps. There'll be other stuff going on, but there's going to be no illusions in this tower. And so ultimately it's going to kind of end in a dungeon crawl. The cool thing though is I can kind of have two different dungeons softly, right? Prepared in, the, in my back pocket. Um, one for the players that are doing more investigation stuff. One for the player, for if the players do more combat stuff. It'll be a mix of both either way. But I can basically have uh, kind of a, a selection of rooms prepared that I want to pull from to ensure that pacing feels good, right? Because it keeps saying I want that pacing to feel good. If I kind of freeform this dungeon where, you know, they're, they're, they're going up his tower, say there's 12 rooms in total. If I come in with 20 rooms prepped and I can kind of guess, guess and feel how long each room is going to take, then I'm very prepared to make sure that the ending is completely solid. Because even if it drags at some point in the middle, as long as I have a really strong ending that feels appropriately paced and a good beginning that feels appropriately paced, the whole thing is going to remember very well to the players and to me, which is, I'd like to have good memories of this. Um, call me selfish. <clears throat> um, that's not quite enough stuff. I feel like there needs to be a beat somewhere in the middle. And so they're going to find out there's a wizard, um, probably from like the goblins, you know, they, they may have been doing, raiding the caravans after all, but maybe they're doing it for the wizard, whatever. Right. And then the mystery points somewhere deeper in the forest. I want them to have like a skill challenge to get through this forest. I want it to specifically be like a skill challenge. Um, just as another kind of puzzly thing going along the way there. I think that's going to be important for the pacing. I just keep it fun as opposed to, and we go to the tower because then it's going to feel very suddenly we're at the end. The tower is going to be building up to it, but I want there to be a little bit more of an approach there. Um, how am I on time? Oh, sweet. I got lots more time than I thought. Okay. So, um, I know my really strong, well, right now I know my beginning. I know I need to do more with this mystery section um but that's an area i can pretty easily design later i want to figure out more of just my outline right i want there to be a little bit more cross happening and i need to figure out what's going on with this rival group as well 
right now that I have this tower, this dungeon they're going through, if I have this rival group, they're going to be in the dungeon as well. I need to make sure that's designed in a way that it's not just, well, now we're with this these other four people the whole way through. That's going to be very awkward. Um, so I need to have probably multiple ways through this dungeon. I'm going to kind of talk through the shape of this dungeon more. Um, it's feeling more and more like it's going to be probably the second half, I would guess, of the adventure. Um, and I think I'm okay with that. Um, yeah, I'm okay with that. So the second half of this adventure is going to be roughly is going to be in the, the wizard's tower. I want it to be big enough that there's multiple paths through it. That way they can encounter this rival group. Um, but not feel like they're obliged to stick with them. Although they could, they could choose to cooperate and that's great. But if they decide to go their separate ways, they need to be able to actually progress independently of one another. Um, I think that's important. So we're going to have the main entrance. And since I kind of said it's hidden in the, in the, in the mountains, there'll be like a side cave that goes through there, right? Um, it's the, the wizard's back door, so to speak. And so there's going to be kind of two different dungeons, like I mentioned already, um, that will actually let the players choose a bit more of the way they want to go. You know, you can go in through this cave where there's going to be more monsters than the like, and you're going to have to like navigate in the dark and with you know, climbing up, gaining elevation, you're going to skipping like the first two thirds of the tower, get up to the guy's, you know, inner sanctum where he's got all of the experiments. You see all the kind of open books with his diary saying how evil he is and what he's planning to do with this town once they've fallen under his plague spell or whatever. Um, and then the first half is kind of this navigating the kind of botched experiments as this wizard just sort of uses a floor as his lab and when he's destroyed it through just experimentation and as opposed to cleaning up he just kind of magically levitates it up and slaps a new floor on there and then keeps going um that kind of tells a lot about this wizard where he's sort of haphazard or she just they the the wizard is just sort of haphazard about the way they do things right um very experimental as they go through there's gonna be some weird monsters in there and in the cave right the wizard is going through the cave at some point uh which is cool. That lets me do some fun things with the combats, with the puzzles, with the challenges. You know, I can have some non-threatening but challenging things like a, like slimes and the like that will corrode their weapons or whatever. And so it's like, oh, now we're in the dungeon. have to find weapons. Um, yeah, I think that'll be good. That makes sure that they encounter the opposing group at kind of that climactic last third of the tower where they then need to talk and discuss how they want to go through as they've been kind of butting heads the whole way through right um i want to talk a little bit more now about the transition point from we are killing goblins to we are going to get wizard that's an important one because it's a one shot the players are going to know that whatever's next they need to kind of follow but i don't want it to feel like well i guess we're going to go do a wizard now right i need to make that transition feel natural that way we don't as much as uh a lag in pacing in the middle is okay. We don't want it to happen if we can prevent it. And that's the biggest way it's going to happen is if it's just like, wait, now there's some wizard we got to go take care of. Great. You know, the characters might feel that way. Cause it's like, geez, this is a bigger job than I thought. But the player should be like, oh, sweet. There's a wizard behind this. I knew there was a wizard behind this. So we need like some nods here and there as to what's going on. <clears throat> I think something along the lines of the goblins are weirdly better equipped than normal, but not just like, oh, they have, you know, awesome weapons or whatever. It's like, why is this, you know, why does this hobgoblin have the cloak with the patches you can throw animals off of or whatever, you know? And 
it, it's like the pat the cloak of useful things and it's just like there's a patch for horses and rope and arrows and just random items you can throw off of it and add to it you know it's like why does this guy have this item why does why does the hobgoblin have this item right i want to throw a little bit of that in there where they just have almost all of the goblins have some random trinket that the wizard paid them with because this wizard's haphazard right they don't have necessarily gold they just have stuff that goblins might want right just a shiny magic thing whether it's a ring that they just buff it up and ice cream comes out or whatever you know but some of them will be useful in combat so it's like these goblins are kind of not what we expected right so we're hinting even from the first engagement that something's up you know one has the bag where you pull it out and you throw out some random small creatures that fight for you you know just something like that to really offset that the expectation a little bit show that something's going on we need to do the same thing for the mystery side now right uh we need to show that you know this is too thought out even if it is goblins doing this it's too thought out for goblins to be doing this you know um sort of a nah those tracks are too orderly in you know those shots are too accurate for sand troopers it must be stormtroopers moment in in a new hope um we want that in the mystery so as we're looking for this missing son who went escorting a caravan you know we've obviously traveled down to where the caravan went missing there's you know the wagon on the side of the road stuff strewn everywhere except it's uh we we have something there that seems amiss you know goblins when they would go and normally attack a caravan they would just take the whole thing right but here they're under orders to like leave enough evidence showing that like it's clearly the goblins but their camp's big enough that no one is actually handling it and so they leave the wagons toppled over they don't kill the horses because why would you kill a horse you can use that the horses are gone um and the, there's no dead bodies, right? They're taking them all kidnapped and sending them to the wizard kind of thing. And so then when they get there and they see there's no human prisoners anywhere, it's like, well, goblins don't eat people. They may be crazy, but they don't do that. And so along the way, we can sprinkle in some other unsettling things. We can hint at, you know, there's magic stuff beep, going beep, on there. Beep, 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 right. beep, <laughs> Trevor, what, any questions or thoughts you had during that process for me? Okay, so... Um... Probably the first thing I wanted to ask, and I asked this last mm -hmm. time too, um, but what about music helps you prepare? And why for this did you pick the Chrono Trigger soundtrack? I was hoping you'd ask that because um, it leads in basically my overall statement for this one. Um, music, I don't always use it for prep, um, but there are times when I do, and it's... It's sort of weird because I, I don't really use music in my sessions. I'd like to. I'm just too picky. It, I, I want it to like perfectly fit the moment, right? And then I end up like micromanaging mm -hmm. the music and then I lose track of the session. And so it ends up being a net loss for me personally. Um, but music is very powerful for communicating an emotion, a vibe, a setting, just a feeling, right? Um, much more so mm -hmm. than words. Yeah, for sure. And especially for this one, right? I stated right at the beginning, I'm going for kind of this very classic fantasy tale, Lord of the Rings type tale. Um, and and the, the classic fantasy tale is all about someone from humble beginnings going on a seemingly innocuous journey and getting swept up in something much bigger than themselves. Yeah. Chrono Trigger as a video game and as a story does that exceptionally well. 
and if anyone listening has not played Chrono Trigger, it is absolutely worth the time to play. It is one of the best games ever made, and I will stand by that till the day I die. It is so good. Um, it is just so good. The, the music captures every moment in the game very, very well, and so it very much hits that theme, that feeling I'm going for in this one shot. Um, and so, so it kind of it kind of helped you get in the mindset yeah. of we're telling this story, yeah, and and kind of put you in the mind space to prep this content. Yeah, basically, um, last time we talked, we talked a little bit at the end where we we you and I, Trevor, have hit a point of proficiency in game mastering where we can kind of set our subconscious on a task and let it do that and chew on that for a while right yeah what music lets me do is it lets me hijack whatever else i've had my brain working on all week and just gets it right to the point of what i'm doing right now if i get the right music going Mm -hmm. it kind of allows me to leverage that in a slightly more conscious way and bare minimum if i don't have a thought i'm thinking on i can just listen to the music and empty my head for once in my chaotic life um because my brain is very bad at that and music is one of the ways I can force it to just kind of chew on something without actively having a line of cognitive thought. Mm-hmm. Um, the other question I wanted to ask is, you're running this for kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so what is there any difference in your prep when you're running for uh, a younger audience versus a more adult audience? That's a good question. And... I'm going to say in general, no, when it comes to a one-shot. Um, where I'm doing a longer campaign, maybe. For one shot, mm-hmm. right, um, you, you can't leave a lot to nuance. Otherwise, the player's not going to pick up on something they need to be picking up on. Um, for example, yeah. I mentioned, you know, we need to really handle the transition of there's a wizard now. Um, on yeah. the break, I realized that what needs to happen, just because I'm going to be eventually planning this out and running it, is that basically the wizard needs to do something to the party to make it slightly more personal and strengthen the resolve. Again, another yeah. classic fantasy thing. But that's going to let the party know that this problem isn't going to go away and you have to go and intercede. Um, and so for almost anyone, I would probably do that. For If I were doing like a longer campaign prepping for kids, there, there is going to be just not as much like high concept stuff. Because um, it's just not as exciting. If they start glomming onto stuff, I would do that. But I would not, uh, I would take longer to start reaching towards that. In general, though, my policy with kids has always been treat them as if they are, are a shorter adult and then adjust as needed afterward. Um, and that's, mm-hmm. that's been successful I, I, for me. I think that's pretty fair yeah. uh, because what's important in prep is that you set like the tone, you have the setting, you have the this flow of the story, mm-hmm. right? And then whether you're playing for adults or you're playing for children... You can just like tear up the PG to PG thirteen to R rating. Yeah. Right? You can make the you could make this same adventure very gritty. Yeah. And very fucked up if you were playing for a, an adult audience that you knew wanted that. Yeah. Like I, But you could also dumb it down and make it like rated G, like you know, nothing actually dies. You just kind of fight them with words, and then they run away. Yeah, like, that's absolutely a thing you could do, right? And and the nice thing in... I, I don't have tons of experience playing with younger audiences, but the times I have done it is a lot of that kind of... Where, where I rely a little bit on the players to help define the theme. Because I, I use that approach, it handles itself 
a lot of the sort of scaling yeah. for for audience that way provided i handle pacing appropriately where the the one conceit i would use again for a longer campaign is i would make sure there are more clear leads into where they should be going and what they could be doing just in case they haven't gamed as much ultimately right just yeah, treat them as yeah. a, a less experienced audience until proven otherwise which again i'd probably do with adults um mm-hmm. I, th- I think the um other thing to mention um is you mentioned that you don't want them to lose sight of what the ending of this one shot should be. Like you don't want them to lose sight of the goal and you needed to keep them focused on Mm -hmm. that. Um, So like, what does that mean to you when you're running a one shot? So this obviously is near where like the concept of railroading comes in, but ultimately it's not force their hand and say, you must go to the wizard tower. But I need to present the wizard as something that they should care about it, it, to such a degree that, like, this is obviously the villain. We're heroes. We should go kill the villain kind of thing. Um, or, or defeat or whatever form they choose to interact with the villain, genuinely. Um, mm-hmm. And so the, the big ways to do that is, like, introducing it early enough that they can catch on to that plot thread. Make sure it's kind of present throughout the entire campaign. Um, where there's just something amiss. This is not. These are not just average goblins. This is not just an average disappearance. Um, that way, it sort of is not necessarily immediately clear, but easily assumable that there is more going on than the goblins. That way, when they mm-hmm. genu- when they accept the quest, the players already know it's going past the goblins, and they they're excited to see what that is. And so you, you sort of bait that out so they're that is the adventure is figuring out what actually is happening. The goblins are a known thing. Yeah. Something is behind them. The journey of this is to find out what that is and defeat it and present it that way to them. Yeah. That way it's, it's not like I'm pulling the rug out from the end of them and saying, ha ha, you thought it was goblins, but it was a wizard. It's like you saw through this carefully crafted plot that fooled the villagers. Yeah. That's what makes you heroes kind of thing. Yeah, and there's like there's not enough time to do that pull the rug out from under the moment in a one shot. Yeah, because right? you could do that in a campaign where like then the next three adventures them trying to get their bearings. In a one shot, you just can't make that happen. Yeah, it's not going to feel as impactful because mm-hmm. they like in a one shot they don't really care that much about any of the villagers yeah. or any of the NPCs that you've brought in to like set the scene, right? Yeah. Like. So it's harder to pull the rug out from them because they're like, uh, we just showed up here tonight and you're already, you're throwing a major twist at us. Yeah. Like in a one shot, you kind of have to not make it cookie cutter, but like make it obvious what the adventure should be. Yeah. I think a better way to state it that goes back to some of the things we talked about and like engagement and player stuff and role play is because every human being sitting at the table knows that after tonight, this world is unlikely to continue existing, right? That it, we're sharing this imagination yeah. space. I need to appeal more to the players than I can the characters because the characters are new and because the characters are short lived. Yeah. And so it needs to be clear for the players and it needs to engage the players far more than it needs to engage the characters. Although if I can get to that point, that makes it a great win ultimately mm-hmm. engaging the players is enough for tonight yeah i think that's a really interesting distinction when you're talking about prepping a one shot mm-hmm. or playing with newer p- 
players. Just a, a new campaign in general. Versus, right? versus a campaign in general is once you are several sessions into a campaign, you can start leaning onto what their characters want to do, not what the players want to mm-hmm. do, right? Um, you know, usually there's a mixture, you know, there's overlap there, yeah. right? But if you're in a one shot, you don't know, like if you're letting them create characters, then you have no idea. Yeah. Right. Um, or even pre-gen characters, they might throw something onto that and you don't know what the characters want. So you need to, you need to cater towards the players. I think that's a fantastic point. Uh, I think the next sensible thing to jump into is what... Like, concrete things do you need to prep to be able to run this session, do you think? I, I need to map the Wizard's Tower. I want that to feel like a traditional dungeon crawl. I think that's a cool experience I can give these kids that they, honestly, there's not tons of places to get nowadays. But, like, a dungeon yeah. crawl with purpose as opposed to we're just going into a place to kill you. Um, so I need to map that in the cave, the, you know, the tower in the cave, um, and, and fill that up. That's going to be probably the bulk of the work. Outside of that, just planning out the mystery to make that good. Um, sketching mm-hmm. out the skill challenge through the forest. Although, honestly, I could probably just do that. and have like I could just be thinking of that as I'm creating the pre-gen characters. I'm going to create pre-gens yeah. just to be safe. Um, and, and just be thinking, okay, you know, what unit comp... What skills does the unit comp have? Or the team composition have? Yeah. To make sure that they can accomplish this task. And so I would probably... Yeah, you want a skill challenge that... Yeah. The- characters could actually yes. complete um and and then i don't know for sure if i'd map out the goblin village but i at least want to like go through and figure out you know what small trinkets are the goblins likely to have that they would have from mm-hmm. the wizard and then i'll probably just stick with goblins to keep it simple but if i feel like shaking that up to some other monster that's low level to just that but the stat blocks there are basically done i'm literally just throwing a magic trinket on top of a goblin, a goblin archer, a hobgoblin, or some other equivalent, yeah. right? Yeah, so that, that'd be relatively simple. Like, I could, um, I could probably... I'd be shocked if I sat down for four hours if I didn't have this done. Um, I could probably have it done in, like, one or two, um, depending on how fast my, my dungeon inspiration flow goes. Sometimes making dungeons takes longer, sometimes it takes less. Um, it's, it's a bit of a, a variant yeah. area. Well, you, you kind of talked about having, like a gambit of rooms yeah. ready and like the first thing that hit me is like you said like up to 20 rooms and my D- dm brain automatically went let's just make 10 rooms but they can each have two things happen in yep. them or you know five rooms but they can have several things happen in them so you only have to create five maps yeah that's true but each map can have several different scenarios happen on it, yeah. depending on what has already happened to the adventure. Because if you come up with scenarios and you already have some stat blocks drawn up, mm-hmm. then it's easy just to say, okay, we're doing this map, but they went with the mystery option, so let's make it more of a skill challenge to get through this room rather than a fight to get through this room. Yeah, because th- th- that's the biggest thing is, even more so than catering it to the style of play they picked... It's just going to make pacing very doable at the end there. Where, mm-hmm. you know, I'm saying I want that to be the last half. But if they are having fun, you know, if they choose solving the mystery and they're having fun, like, interrogating every villager, right? And just, like, grilling yeah. the shopkeepers. 
I'm going to let him, <laughs> you know, like, I'm not going to say, no, yeah. you're not having fun the way I wanted you to. Right. <laughs> and, and that's, that's the, the hard part sometimes about being a GM is just being adjustable. Yeah. So you, you may prepare 20 rooms for this dungeon, but your group of players spends all of their time in town and then they find the clue and you only have 30 minutes left. So they just have to go to the fa- the the tower and fight the wizard. Yeah, and that's fine as long as the, the big thing is again like I I really want the pacing to feel good here. I, I've said that a lot, but mm. it's what needs to happen to make the, this particular one shot successful. If I want to capture that feeling of a small, you know, innocuous heroes getting caught up and then getting swept into something bigger, this wizard that wants to kill the town with mm-hmm. his magic plague, I need to make sure the plot beats fit right. You know, the, the story beats and the, the progression feels appropriate. Um, and that's going to require a lot of flexibility on my part. And so planning that back half really well so I can adjust it to whatever it ends up looking like is going to be the bulk of the prep. But I would guess two hours would be very comfortable. I could probably do it in, in less or more. But that would be my general kind of assumption as a, as a block of time mm-hmm. to plan that. Okay. Yeah, so that, that gives us a couple ideas. Kind of a look into, hey, I have this specific idea... I need to get this rolling. I need to run it for this kind of group. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of gives a good um, starting point. And uh, depending on your skill set, you may have to prepare different things than Mason would have to prepare. For me, I would, I would also focus on maps for that wizard's tower i'd want a couple cool maps for them to run yeah through. like you want to have like a couple like a, a highlight kind of at the the middle third and then the, the top mm-hmm. itself to be like a really neat area yeah and then i'd probably want a couple cool npcs for them to run into in the town yeah that, that would be like when they're interrogating the, and some yeah. clues i'm not good at mystery <laughs> it, um, tough. so i would i would have to come up with the clues that they could find ahead of time I can I can improv the situations that those clues are around, but I I would need to know what the clues are. You know, is it that they find a mysterious vial? Is it that several townsfolk have gotten sick and all have the same symptoms? Right? Mm-hmm. You know, the like I would need to have a hard core idea of what the what the clues that they could find are to be able to run the mystery part successfully. Cause I would need to know where to steer them. Yeah. The, the mystery for me, I, I've run a few mysteries and it depends if I, if I'm on, if I'm feeling on point the week before, I just kind of need to know what the mystery is. Like just the kind of bullet points mm-hmm. of like, this is what happened, who, who did it and how, and then I can, I can usually kind of fit it fairly well in. Um, throwing in like a couple of key points, like I'd want to have a key point that shows that, yeah, I'd want to have basically two kind of clue types, clues that go to goblins, clues that then indicate that there's the wizard. Um, but I could make it happen. Okay. Uh, especially where I'm happy to make that fast or slow pacing wise. I, I wouldn't, I don't know if I'd go all in on like planning out clues, hardcore, I treat it more like a lightweight mystery, sort of an extended skill challenge type deal. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, I would still need some planning. I, I, I will admit that. 
Okay. Well, I think that gives a good idea. And like, you know, this would be a fun adventure to run in a, in a low level setting and just kind of say, Hey, there's some goblins getting up to shenanigans and, and then explore how more is going on behind the scenes than is obvious. Mm -hmm. Um, so I guess now you ready for your, it is my turn. Yeah. I think I have everything in place that I need. All right. You ready for the timer? Bring it on. Three, two, one, go. Okay, so I explained previously that I used story dice in the last time. And those are just, there are several different apps you can find um, that roll these story dice that have different pictures. So you can kind of find one that works for you. And honestly, what I do that isn't um, always the, like some people like to do a hardcore, like I'm just going to roll the story dice and just go with it. I honestly just roll a bunch of times until I find something that works for me. Okay. So now I found something that is like generic enough, but I think works in a fantasy setting. So I have a moon, a star, like a TP or a camp, a world, and a plant. So I am going to go off of that and try to make a story based off of that. And I'm just going to go in a sequential order. So moon, star, camp, world, and plant. Some sort of new growth. Um, and so this can be a little weird, but... Just kind of start riffing on those things. Uh, when I prep, I talk to myself a lot. I write a bunch of ideas down. I think about things. Um, so what first comes to mind with moon is either it's nighttime, or there's werewolves, or there's vampires, or there's something sketchy happening at night, right? Um, so to me, when I'm thinking of a one-shot adventure, there needs to be an obvious thing for the adventurers to look into. Um, and so I'm generally going to be playing D&D, so I'm going to be doing some kind of fantasy setting. So I'm going to say that the adventurers find themselves in a town, and something weird is happening at night, every night. And poking around in this town, they start to find that there's evidence of this thing that people are talking about it. Now with a star being the next token, my immediate reaction is to um, make the star the reason that that's happening. There is a new star shining in the sky. The villagers are reading it as a bad omen. And that is why these weird things are happening in town. So right now I'm just setting out the, bullet points of the campaign and that are the one shot and then i'm gonna walk back and add more detail so we got the moon we got the star now for the camp now i'm gonna say that there's some sort of settlement outside of town that is creating this effect and this effect shows itself to the villagers as a star in the sky but it's actually causing them this physical magical whatever problem 
So evidence will eventually lead the party outside of town to possibly explore this camp and see what's going on. Um, so then there's a picture of, of the world. And so that makes me think about like how more things are interconnected than we t tend to believe they are, right? So this is a bigger theme. Um, so maybe these creatures, this group is taking advantage of a phenomenon that's happening in the larger universe to gain something from this town, right? So what are they going for? And then there's some sort of new growth. Um, and to me, that means that the adventure can end in several different ways. There's either a new understanding that the townsfolk have with the weird camp that lives outside of town. This new camp that lives outside of town, the adventurers decide to side with them and the village eventually fades away, right? So there's this kind of dichotomy between the encampment outside of town and the, the stereotypical medieval village. And the adventurers could maybe side with either one. So is the group like the growth at the end of the adventure and understanding between the two, one winning over the other because they learn the secret that's happening? So now I need to go deeper with all of that. So I'm going to walk all the way back to the beginning and go back forward. So we have the moon. Something weird is happening at night. I'm going to say that every night, one of the villagers walks out and goes to a specific spot in town and does something weird. Whether that is like bring food or bring gold or bring resources. Like they're doing something that obviously this other camp can take advantage of, right? So maybe they're walking to the outskirts of town and just literally like dropping out food um, or something that this other encampment could use or like praying to some weird god that nobody's heard of. And then there's the star. There's this weird effect happening in the sky. This is something that the party would also see but maybe not be affected by because... They're not from around here. They haven't been here as many days. So what would that effect in the sky be? I, th I automatically think of something like the Aurora Borealis. How scary would that be for a medieval village to see that all of a sudden? Um, and that's also something that magic could obviously have an effect on. Then the next thing I jump to is what is the encampment? What is outside? Are they orcs? Are they goblins? Are they some sort of other otherworldly creature? In my mind, I want to make them some sort of druid circle. Um, because that would be more interesting. That could, like, in my mind, druid circles don't always have to be good, Right? So it could be a druid circle that is fighting this village that has recently set up shop near them. And the druid circle wants them not to encroach on the wilderness. So they are infecting them with dreams through this effect and making it harder and harder for them to live here. Um, so this interconnectedness, which is the next dice, this picture of the world... You know, this is where we have, like, the, the central tension, 
It's between the Struid Circle and this newly formed village, which I've just now decided is a newly formed village, right? Um, so then the adventurers have to figure out, are they going to broker peace? Are they just going to ice all the druids? Are they going to tell the villagers it's hopeless and they need to leave this place that's cursed? You know, and then the end of the adventure is kind of the resolution and like saying how the area changes based on the adventurer's decisions. Like, this would be an interesting one-shot with the ideas I've laid out so far to kind of have an epilogue and say, because of the decisions you made, here is what happened to this valley. And that would be a great introduction into a campaign. That would be a great way to introduce people to Dungeons & Dragons or any other tabletop game in that, you know, the world is alive and reacts to how they act. Um... So that would be a really good, to me, this would be a good setting to try and like bait a group of my friends into playing a longer campaign with me. Um, so what, what else do I need to expand on? I need to know what specifically is happening to the villagers at night. I said they're going to one specific spot or doing one specific thing that's kind of weird and people have started noticing that. Um, so I need to hone in on what, what that is and how the druids are gaining from that. So I would maybe make it that um, the villagers are sleepwalking at night um, and doing stuff to revert the area back to its natural state. So the farmer just went out in the morning and plowed his whole field, and then at night he sleepwalks and like messes up all of his plowing and kind of tumbles it back over and tries to make it more natural. All of those rocks that he took out of the field and put in a pile to make a fence, he goes and throws all of those rocks back into the middle of his field. And then he wakes up in the morning and is like, oh, I mean, just yesterday this was plowed and I don't understand. Um, and then the adventurers have to like try to figure out what is happening. So now that I have the back, like basically everything I said so far is the background story. So how do the event, now I need to speed up and figure out how the adventurers are actually interacting with this. They come into town and all of these weird things have been happening, but nobody knows why. So the adventurers have to stay up all night and, and watch the farmers do weird stuff. And then try to look in the surrounding areas and see if they can figure out who's dealing with it. And I don't want this to all be investigation, right? It's a tabletop role-playing game. If I'm doing D&D, &D, combat is a part of D&D. &D. So there might be things they could run into at night. There might be villagers that have formed a town watch that suspect the adventurers for causing these problems and pick a fight with the adventurers. There could be animals. Uh, one of the druids might wander into town to take a more direct approach. So that would be one of the first encounters. Something happens that night when the adventurers stake out. And then they figure out that this outside force is involved. So then they have to go travel to the outside force, to this other encampment. 
So there needs to be some transition there. It's either a skill check of them trying to find where these druids live. Druids are good at staying off the grid, man. You're not going to find them if you're not good, right? So it could be a skill challenge. It could be like just an exploration with a chance of running into some monsters or some traps that the druids have set. If these are hostile druids, they might have guard animals that will fight you. And then they get to the druid encampment and have a hostile encounter. They're trying to figure out what the druids are up to. The druids are trying to drive the villagers out. They kind of figure that out. I'm not going to have it be like based on a skill check, right? Because it's a one-shot. They need to know what the druids are up to. The druids are going to give their quote-unquote evil person monologue and say, These darn villagers have been here corrupting the land that we've spent years growing and developing. They need to leave or face our wrath. So then it is up to the adventurers. Do they side with the druids? Do they side with the village? Or do they try to broker peace? And I could have brokering peace come in a bunch of different ways, right? Um, this is one that I could think could be highly flexible. I would just want to have ideas based around the different approaches. If they're going to ice the druids, then I just need to have some a couple stat blocks for some basic druids and they get in a fight. And they take the druids out and the village is safe. You know, for now. And then if they decide to turn on the villagers, how are they going to scare all of the villagers away? Are they going to kill all the villagers? That's pretty insane, right? They're going to go back and kill the people who gave them the quest? The people with the explanation marks above their heads? Uh, that's pretty crazy, but a party might do that, so I can be prepared for that. What I, with most of the friends I play with, the most likely solution would be brokering peace. So what would it take to broker peace between these two groups? What kind of challenge could I throw in there that could be contained in one shot, right? So I would need to think of something close, close-ended, you know, that is the people of this village need to be willing to participate in the druids with a ritual that is dangerous, but will sanctify the land and make it withstand the ravages that the villagers have had upon it. So some sort of ritual that also involves combat. I think that would be a good way to kind of end it in the diplomatic turns. The druids will be there. The villagers will be there. The party will have to keep them from fighting each other and direct them to fighting the evil spirits brought up by this ritual. You know, uh, I think that that is kind of the direction I would want it to go, but I'd have to be prepared for it to go off on those other rails too. Now, things I would need to hardcore get ready would probably be um, a more solid idea of the intervention that the druids are having. And what is it is with that question of what you need to do next that we can move on into this questioning section after a short break. Path one. 
Okay, well, we are back. I did a quick glance over the notes that Mason took. He took beautiful notes um, of my ramblings. But, uh, Mason, are there any questions that you have for me based off of how I ranted through prep? Yes, you know it. Um, I asked it last time. I'm going to ask it again and see if your question, your answer is different. But uh, mm-hmm. It might be. <laughs> yeah. You, you, you prep, especially right here, in a fairly cyclical manner where you just kind of go through, mm-hmm. you get your bullet points down, and then you flesh them out, and then you flesh them out, and then you flesh them out. Um, first question, is that a way you prep normally? for like a non-one-shot mm-hmm. session. So, yeah, I find that I have several spaced out ideas and then I have to figure out how the heck they all work together. So then I back up and I go back through them again to get the finer details, to interconnect them. And then sometimes I hop back and forth between ideas, but usually I go, okay, this, this, this. And then I go back to the beginning and go, does that still make sense based on the changes I made at the end? Because sometimes I get so focused on one bit that then I go back to the beginning and I go, oh, since I decided to do that there, it might be smarter to change the beginning now. Yeah, that's that's a good policy. Like I, I do a similar thing, right, where I'll, I'll create all the vague things and kind of flesh them out, but I don't do it in as clear of an order sometimes. Like, I went mm-hmm. through beginning to end with mine, but then I bounced around once I had that. And I think I think that's something that I do more specifically with the story dice. Mm-hmm. Because I had them on my screen right yeah, in front so of me the whole like, time. Yeah. So then I, I was, like, f- physically called back to them by looking at them visually no. and going, oh, okay, so yeah, that, does that still make that's sense? That's helpful, though. Like, the, this does it still make sense thing? Because, like by the end right of mine where i talked pretty early on of having that rival party by the end i really didn't talk about them as much and so i need to go back and make sure they're still relevant at all right or even if Mm -hmm. i still want to do that kind of thing yeah and if they're not like okay cut them out and if that would still be a cool story beat then figure out how to incorporate them all the way through but it's a thing that still needs to happen where otherwise it might have gotten dropped off if not for me thinking like oh i need to go through all my stuff again (laughs) um Mm -hmm. so that's that's an important thing like that's Especially for, like, something where you need it to be a lot more tight. Like, that becomes more important, right? Where you yeah, just have sure. one thing to do. You, you need everything you're doing to matter more. Um, so, another one that I wanted to bring up. Uh, I This one you mentioned during the break, just as we chatted a little bit. Like, it was a tough one, especially compared to last week. Last week, he had some very literal, like, physical nouns and the like. Listen, it's all very abstract. Yeah. Um, and so the difference here is he spent a lot of time, like roughly the first half, I would say like eight minutes or so, just going through yeah. kind of like what each thing meant and then clarifying those. Um, but then once you got to that point where you knew what each thing meant, it was pretty fast to just start firing off the actual plot of the adventure that the players would be going through. Do you feel like that was the case? That's mm-hmm. what it seemed like from my end. Yeah, and that's something that gets um, very interesting about prep is sometimes the more like generic, vague work you do, the easier it is just to launch in and figure out the details real quick. Yeah, like I, 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 I've always called it kind of just creating context, right? Humans are yes. good at just once they have a context to just understanding that thing and, and making it happen, where... Yeah, you know, it's it's that inside joke where it's a really funny story, 
but then you tell it with anybody that wasn't there for it and it just dies because explaining the context that made it funny just kills it right that that context mm-hmm. can prop up your prep yeah so so i was very abstract in the beginning of this i was just like ranting ideas that yeah. i had right and but that helped my brain go how do all of these ideas actually make a story that is good mm-hmm. right and like not that this in story is insanely insightful or smart or witty or new but it's a story that makes sense based on the context that i gave there's a village with something weird happening okay if something is actually like obviously acting upon the village right so what is the thing acting upon the village it's druids the druids don't want them there because they like nature and these industrial humans have come in and are destroying the nature around them to create agriculture right that is a trope. It's classic. Um, that's the tropiest trope out there. Okay. But it, it, it will. Uh, that's what we talked about with one shots. It will automatically make sense mm-hmm. as soon as the adventurers get to the druid village and figure out that it's druids. They're gonna go. Oh. Yes, and and that carries me perfectly to the next point I wanted to bring up. You mentioned that the players have to learn what the druids are up to. And then you specifically said you're not going to make it a skill check. It will be revealed yeah. to them. I did a similar thing where it's like, I have to make sure they find out the wizard is doing it. It's not like if they get in And I didn't say it back then, but what that means is at no point am I going to say, here's eight places where they can make an intelligence check and find out if there's a wizard. There just needs yeah. to be evidence, and the players are either going to be told or just know from the copious amount of evidence that something yeah. else is up. So, so for both examples, the wizard and the druid circle are pivotal to the story that we are trying to tell. Mm-hmm. Those aren't optional. It's not. Those, if you're playing a video game, those are the cutscenes. Yeah. Those aren't the vid docs that you have a chance of finding throughout the exactly. level. Like, the vid docs add, or the extra features, the Easter eggs, the articles or artifacts whatever they get called in whatever video game those are the bonus content the cutscenes are what you absolutely have to know to move the story forward now and that is unequivocally true for one shots and it's typically true for longer campaigns one note i will say is on a longer campaign either of these stories could instead be like a subplot or the plot of a campaign but not every yeah. session is dedicated to them right and so you know, like, like I said, they're in a longer campaign. I could have that moment where there's the goblins and there's a couple hints that something's up. And if the players don't get it, guess what? The plague is still around. Something will eventually lead them to the wizard. You know, if, if I want to tie things to skill checks to, to random chance, I just put enough of them in there that inevitably they will put the pieces together. But in a one-shot, I don't mm-hmm. have that luxury. I just don't. And even in, you know, a real-world campaign where it's spanning months of real-world time, I would kind of have a cutoff of like, if these dumb, lovely players that I love with my heart can't get it through their skulls that this thing is happening and I've dropped two dozen hints, then the plot is going to come slap them upside the head and say, oh, you're frogs now. Guess what? There's probably a wizard. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Some Sometimes you just have to make it obvious yeah. and and that is going to be more engaging for the story than being this perfect, subtle thriller manipulator, 
you know, sometimes that doesn't always come across because you have perfect knowledge about what's happening behind the scenes exactly. and the players don't. Exactly. Yeah. So if, if they're not getting it, that means you are probably being too vague. So you might have to be more dramatic than you think you need to be to get the point across. So with this druids thing, right, I initially said that I would want the villagers to do something vague, like, you know, maybe go unplow their fields or give some valuable resource back to the druids. What I think would be more engaging and more obvious is a villager goes and traps down a tree the day before. Mm-hmm. In the middle of the night, that villager literally carries logs back to the tree. Yeah. And all of those logs form back into the tree, and the tree is there again. Yeah, they, they take the rocks into their plowed field, and you watch the rocks sink back into the ground. Right? Just that little yeah. bit of extra layer of something. The, 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 the villagers aren't just doing something weird. They're doing it, and then something magical is happening. To hint yeah, that there's to like, a cause. There's, there's got to be something punchier, yeah. right? It can't just be, oh, they're doing a weird yeah. thing in their sleep. It's got to be like, they are obviously undoing the work that they just did yeah. that day. To really drive the point home that these druids are mad that they're messing up the environment around yeah. them. Um, my next question... Because so, yeah. so, like, how weird would it be to like literally watch a villager like take split logs... And put them back together like a puzzle piece, and then just watch the tree fuse back together. Well, that's a pretty good signpost that something supernatural is happening beyond just sleepwalking, right? Because mm-hmm, that is mm-hmm. a risky run the other way, where like they could be like, "Oh yeah, something weird is going on," but it could also just be like this town's insomniacs and they sleepwalk, and yeah. they just always have, and they're only just now realizing it. Where now there's magic involved. Players understand yeah. magic, right? And then there's a chance if somebody rolls a good perception check while that's happening, they see a druid off to the side, Ooh, and then there's a chase scene. Yeah, right? That's that's great. That that can spice up things. They get to the druids too soon. They're not prepared now. They have to go back, and it's then the players are on the back foot, but they have more information, all that kind of stuff. That's that's sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, my next question is, you, you mentioned this is going to be a fairly flexible outcome. Personally, I'm always a huge fan of that. Um, we mm-hmm. talked way too long about triangles last episode. Ooh, those those sweet, sexy triangles. Mm-mm-mm. Um, mm. Mm. Obtuse. Mm. Oh, yeah. So, uh, you mentioned, like, you know, the, the three obvious endings are they side with druids, they side with villagers, and they tr- or they try and broker peace. Um, mm-hmm. You mentioned that, like, the way they broker peace, you want it to be hard, where they have to be navigating the villagers and the druids, and then... Mm-hmm. probably performing some sort of ritual that is dangerous. Sounds to me that that is the obvious hard way to solve the problem. Yeah. I, I think I think the easiest way to solve the problem like mechanically would be go fight the druids or go fight the yeah. villagers. It, but it's also less satisfying. Right? And, mm-hmm. and and do you feel like it's appropriate to to plan that way? I, I think that you should be prepared for those outcomes because some parties might just be like, yo, these these people are out here farming and trying to live a good life and these druids are just messing with them. We need to drive these druids mm-hmm. off. That is a sensible conclusion to run based off the information I've given them. Yeah. Right? So, or the opposite. Once they meet the druids, they could really like the voice I gave one of the druids. You know? Mm-hmm. 
if I talk as one of the druids in, in like kind of a, oh, well, uh, I just kind of thought that the people coming in were a little bit mean to the forest and thought they should get out of here. That tree didn't deserve that. Yeah, they might fall in love with that druid and be like, we will kill for you. <laughs> oh, yeah, I've, I've had it happen. Right? Yeah. yeah, and so I need to be prepared for that. But the more nuanced conclusion that I might subtly hint is available is try to get the druids and this village to come to an agreement. Yeah. And because I, I like personally I think that would be the best outcome. Like it is right for, from the common perspective the the ending of the conflict in a way that does not include violence or one pers- one side winning that, that that's very yeah. commonly the one players are going to gravitate to. Um, mm-hmm. And since it's one of those people players gravitate to, you mentioned you wanted it to be the most thought out. And, yeah. and it, it's implied that it's the hardest. Um, I'm a fan of doing that as well, where like you are avoiding combat, which is an easy option to force your will onto others. So now you're mm-hmm. you're losing control of the situation, and so it's going to be harder. Yeah, yeah. I think I think if they like do the ritual. Like, they would have to do a yearly ritual with the druids to, like, sanctify and heal the land from the damage that they've done. And that ritual would be inherently dangerous for both groups. Yeah. And they'd both have to be ready for that. And they would have to either gather dangerous resources or XYZ. So the the act three might not be fighting the druids or fighting the villagers. It might be going with one druid and one the the hunter in the village mm-hmm. to go get this very rare resource to do the ritual. Yeah. And you have to keep both the druid and the villager alive because if either one of them dies, both groups are gonna fall apart. Like they're gonna fight. Yeah. Like, that's, that's a really compelling ending. Um, mm-hmm. I guess the last question that remains before, because we can kind of use this to bounce off to other concepts that are more broad, but what is left to design now? For me, this is very open-ended, mm-hmm. which in some ways is very good. Um, because for maps, what do I need? I need some sort of village map. And I need some sort of forest map. They don't even have to be good. Because if it devolves to combat, then I just do one of... I I have two, maybe three maps prepared. That's easy. That's not going to take me any time. I can find those online or I can draw them myself if we're playing in person, right? Um, So I've got that squared away. I might want to have a couple random encounters for them to run into while they're either searching out what's happening at night or on their way to go find the druids. You know, what is leading them towards this druid village? Is it that they're chasing a druid? Is it that they're looking around in the wilderness and something keeps impeding their way so they have to keep going that direction, right? Yeah. They keep running into illusions that turn them around, so they need to fight through the illusions. Or it might even be a combat that tries to drive them away, right? So those are the things that I would prepare. Some encounters 
to make this world feel a bit more alive that could be quickly dealt with because I don't want them to eat up a bunch of time. The main story is the conflict between the village and the Druid Circle, right? Yeah. Um, so I don't want those to eat up a bunch of time, but I do want them to set the scene, right? Yeah. Would you consider, if you used like a skill challenge for that travel, to have sort of, uh, if they fail the skill challenge, then they have a random encounter that taxes their resources but then leads to them them to the druid circle anyway yeah like basically i wouldn't want to have more than one encounter mm -hmm. between them and the druid hideout right because then it just it's gonna take too much time honestly yep. um because i want they need to get there right so maybe if they fail the skill challenge they run into one of the druid's traps so then bare minimum i need to come up with one druid trap and one weird thing they could run into the village that has nothing to do with the druids' influence. They run into a group of villagers that are just up to something shady that has nothing to do with the adventure and is kind of a red herring, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but I have to make it obvious that it's a red herring. Yeah. you got to be careful with those. Um, yeah. So how much total time do you think you'd need to get this prepped and ready to run? I probably need an hour or two, honestly. Yeah, I was, I was going to say... Because I, I have a pretty solid idea. I need to find a couple maps. I need to come up with a couple druids that would feel cool, right? I'd Like, if they do the, the joint option where there's one druid and a hunter, I would need to come up with both of those characters. Yeah. Because they might be the ones traveling with the party. The hunter might be the ones going with the party to eradicate the druids. Or vice versa. Mm -hmm. or they both might go with them to go get the MacGuffin to make the ritual happen. Yeah, like, I was going to say, honestly, you know, outside of just organizing maps and the like, you, you could be very justified in just spending the majority of your time getting six or so fairly fleshed-out characters for NPCs. Yeah. And, and, and I they think... can just carry the whole thing, really, right? Yeah, I think having having some likable characters on either side would do a lot to get the point across of this adventure where I'm trying to put this dichotomy of like both sides are, could be likable in a way. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But I could also make it adjustable. You know, if the party that shows up is three druids, <laughs> I, I know where this is going. Okay. Yeah. Right. So then, so then they walk into the village and there's garbage everywhere They've been clear-cutting forests. Strip mining to the build by hills. Yeah, to make stupid structures that they don't need, right? Yeah. And, and, and like, that tells me a lot. So, you can... This is one that could be very easily adjustable. Mm-hmm. To kind of swing one way or the other. I can make the druids look like the bad guy. That's not hard. No. They're literally sending swarms of animals into the village every night to kill villagers. And villagers are, that's messed villagers are walking out to their death. That's messed up. Yeah. That's messed up, and the druids are making it look like animal attacks. So I, if I get a feel for what the party is more, it would be more receptive to, I could easily adjust, yeah. right? Um, so, that, so that's something I, I tend to do in my one-shots, where I have a strong theme, the, the theme is the conflict between the village and the druid circle. Mm -hmm. 
right? And how, how do we resolve that in four hours? Yep. Um, and there's honestly, there's lots of ways to do that. So this will be kind of vague and more open-ended. But there needs to be the interaction with the villagers and knowing what the villagers are going through. And there needs to be the interaction with the druids and knowing what the druids are going through. Yeah. I, and then there needs to be options in between those. Things. I completely agree. Um, the The more we've done this exercise, the more like I really feel like our GM styles have just become very similar as we've played together, which I'm sure is a fairly common thing, I would guess. Mm-hmm. Um, my last thing, and I kind of want to use this to springboard back into just a, a broader discussion because I think we've got a little bit of time left. Um, when mm-hmm. you hit the world when you were just talking about your dice... One of the first things you said was you kind of thought the world could represent interconnectedness. Um, yeah. First off, just a fun question. Do you think that biased you towards thinking druids as a plot element? Pro- probably. You know? Probably. Um, th- that and the plant, obviously, as well. Um, but just a curiosity there. But we we tend to hit on that as part of the prep fairly common i feel like as a as a common thread is just find the way things are connected that's gonna show you where you can take that next step to you know how how does the moon lead into the star how are the goblins connected to the wizard that's because that's how the players are going to experience the game right they're going to see the elements you've put in there and their brains are going to reach for cause effect relationships and ways to connect everything and mm-hmm. and ultimately, um, I've asked. I think I've asked this before, but like that interconnectedness is really important to establish for a new game. But as you play a longer game, you can lean on the interconnectedness of the party. Do you agree there? Yeah. Yeah, and I, I just came up with a new idea while you were talking about mm-hmm. this because I kind of brought up the star, like this aurora borealis yeah. effect, and something that would really sell home the interconnectedness is they when they find the druids the druids are really literally doing the ritual that summons that sky effect oh yeah yeah that's perfect because then you see and and then they they interrupt it and it stops Mm -hmm. so they know that the druids are doing this right you can hit that again when they get back to town because they're like there'll be people like undoing the things because they've woken up partway through the ritual right as opposed to in the morning and then you can in case there's any doubt, you can like hammer home. No, it, you're you're right. You are correct, mm-hmm. player. Thank you for paying attention. Kind of thing. Yeah. So that so that'd be something. You know, they interrupt the ritual. The druids have a chance to explain themselves or defend themselves, depending mm-hmm. on what the players decide to do. Yeah. Like the the more connected you can make aspects of your game, the easier it's going to be. Um, last time we did this, I you know I did that kind of supernatural thing and modern-ish era and part of the reason i picked setting it in effectively my hometown is because then everyone i would be playing it with has been there and i can rely on their actual experiences in that town to do a lot of you know math making orienting stuff you know i don't have when they say oh we're going to the library i can say this particular library in town is the one you go to You've at yeah. least watched by, and it. then you don't. You don't even have to make a map because if all of those yeah. people that you're playing with have been to that library, they know exactly what that they library know exactly looks like. Exactly what the library looks like, hundred percent. You know, and and I can rely on that so much to make it feel so mm-hmm. much more real for them. 
in a way that matters as opposed to a way that, you know, vivid description is like, no, I know this library, so I can tell you there's these back rooms we can go to and there's computers there. And as a teenager where I don't want my parents mm -hmm. realizing that my phone, you know, is somewhere it's not supposed to be or whatever because they have that tracker on there. And I told them my battery, yeah. died, right? I can't Google that. And so I have to go into the library to do that Google search on this cryptid that I think I saw or whatever, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, like that that's something that is very important for prep is like knowing your audience. Mm -hmm. And if your audience is a bunch of people who are generic nerds, then make your stuff broad and tropey. It will be easier to draw them in. They can connect. They will have an instant, they'll have an instant understanding, mm -hmm. you know? Most people our age, uh, we are in the millennial generation, have read Harry Potter. Yeah. They know Harry Potter tropes. You, We can make references to it is like this scene in Harry Potter. Yeah. And most people would understand like, that. Do not be afraid to do that. Do not feel like that is you being a bad GM. That is you being an effective GM because instead of wasting time trying to describe something in some unique way, you can just say... This guy is your Malfoy to you are Harry. He he's gonna yeah, be poking at I, you the whole step mm -hmm. of the way, and I'm gonna say that as a, and you can just say that to them. You know, after that, this guy. You know, I would say that to the players in mind when this party keeps showing up, and it's like they're like, wow, they're basically our rival. I'm like, yeah, they are your rival. You picked different starter Pokemon, and you guys are gonna battle every time you see each other because you guys yes, take a violent path. Yes, right. His name is Assface. <laughs> And it will always be ass face. Uh, tiny dick. I mean, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, they, they can immediately, like, they make a connection there, and then they can connect that to uh -huh. the rest of the story, and it feels more real for them, and that's what's going to get your players to start making, to move from the player level to the yeah. character level. This is something I've done in our campaign, where I frequently reference cinematic movie shots. Mm -hmm. Not, like, specific shots, but I'll say, like... You know how, like, in an action movie, when the guy is dramatically walking towards something and, like, this and this kind of scene happens? And I'll use that to be like, this is how we enter into this scene. Yeah. Or, um, I, I, I've mentioned it before for social interaction. Like, people are going to do a mix of word-for-word -word stuff and then also just summarizing the point they're trying to make. They can also use uh -huh. that description there, you know, where... Someone might do, like, I'm doing kind of the Aragorn at the Gates of Mordor speech to rouse the people. I don't want to hit these points, but I knew exactly what they wanted when they said Aragorn at the Gates of Mordor, as opposed to Theoden at Helm's Deep, right? Those are two very different speeches. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. But they're, they, it gets the point across, right? Or uh, an event from our campaign, you know, there was a, a, a conflict between the party recently where we all were uncertain where things would end up but at kind of this lull in the discussion between all the characters um there was a literal barrier between my character pit and and dave's character starry and um there's always been kind of a a paternal relationship there and, and sort of a a father figure ish thing um mm -hmm. and so he sang her lullaby which was of note because it was the first time in the entire campaign he had participated in any sort of music. Um, and the way I described the scene was basically sort of a leaves from the vine type deal for my uncle Iroh. Which yeah. 
Yeah, and that was so powerful in the moment yeah. because one, Leaves from the Vine is the saddest fucking song in the planet to anybody who has watched Avatar. But it, it perfectly summarizes everything that's going on in that scene where they're frustrated mm-hmm. and angry with each other and uncertain of what to do, but it shows the connection those two characters have without me having yeah. to and another point go on and on that was it. brought up in that another point that was brought up in that scene was uh um i don't i don't remember who even mentioned it but like there was just like an hour where neither of your characters said anything and you were like like she had made the dome mm-hmm. of uh like i forget Odin what it's called team and tiny hut yeah tiny hut liam and tiny hut liam and tiny hut and uh you were on the outside of it because she didn't give you permission to go in and uh, somebody equated it to like uh, in Final Fantasy games when there's like a rest sequence mm-hmm. and they do that do 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 and it shows the camp, but I pictured like a bubble with the staria inside of it with Pit leaning on yeah. the outside and like the moon going across the sky. Yeah, but it, it captures the feeling of that scene without us having to spend thousands yeah. of words trying to explain it. Yeah, you can literally just say it's the video game Final Fantasy rest sequence. Mm-hmm. But here is what the silhouette is as the moon goes by. Yep. And, and like, people understand that. And it's fast and it's dirty. And it's not necessarily immersive, but it quickly gets people in that headspace. Yeah. I think that's totally I, I think getting people in the headspace is far more powerful than trying to capture the game moment, right? Capturing the, mm-hmm. the emotional commitment to that moment is going to get you far better results in my experience. Yeah, so so to wrap up, we both did a a different type of adventure. Kind of tried to come up with the main story beats in fifteen minutes, and then talked about how we would expand on that to make it ready to play. Um, and that might look slightly different for each person, but basically, if you have the main story beats. The rest comes a little bit easier. Yes. If you know who your protagonists and your adversaries and you know what obstacles are there, then you know what to prepare. Absolutely. Um, We have both had a lot of fun doing this little activity challenge, whatever you want to call it, both times. Um, So feel free to, like, do it yourselves just to, for fun or to try to one shot, you know, sometimes you have an off week, you want to mm-hmm. do one shot, just go for it. Um, let us know how it goes. If you want to run either of the things we, we came up with, do it, make it yours. If you're like, that's a cool idea. Run with it. Just do. Yeah. Just to- it. Totally steal either of these. Cause I, I would love to, to run Mason's or mine. I think they would both be yeah, fun. Like they're both really cool. You know, I, I'm, I'm looking to try and steal from Trevor's for the one I'm going to be running next week, you know, because hey. steal things, do it. It makes your games better. <laughs> uh, no, it does. Ideas, steal ideas, um, but not like corporate espionage. I mean, like I mean, ba- basically mine is, you know, the movie Avatar or Cowboys and Indians. Yeah, it's, it's a classic tale. You know, on a smaller, more local scale. It, it, it also has like elements of... Um, Seven Samurai, and is it Hateful Eight? It's like the cowboy remake of that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Not Hateful Eight. It's, 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 yeah, there's a cowboy movie that's effectively the same thing. Um, yeah. Yeah, like, right? It, it could go either way. Uh, and and that, that's really sweet. Um, if you want to see us do more things like this, let us know as well. 
But let us know how your activities go. That'd be sweet to just hear what kind of ideas you came up with. What? Yeah, we'll have uh, links to our stuff in the podcast descriptions. So reach out to us uh, right now. I believe our email is on there. And as we get more sophisticated, I mean sophisticated, <laughs> we'll get uh, updated on there. Have more social media stuff. I think our Twitter is on there too. Um, it's not super fleshed out at this point. But as we get in contact with more people, we will make more efforts. Um, just like we talk about with GM prep, that's kind of how we're going to handle this podcast. Yeah. We're going to do the amount of work that we need to do to engage the audience. Right now, the audience is mostly us. And yeah, I can say we engage ourselves <laughs> a little too easily. I can brag and say I've listened to the most number of episodes because I've listened to all the ones we've released at least twice. <laughs> You know, from the editing process. But yeah, um, yeah, also, if you have other prep things that you do that we didn't talk about that you think are cool, yeah. share that with us. We, we eat that crap up, like, all the time. Yeah, our, our ultimate goal would be to share some ideas um, about the outlying stuff that happens in tabletop gaming, how to prep, how to think about it, how to, like, create group dynamics that are healthy and good. But also, like, we would like to have interaction and, and be able to have a community to banter back and forth with because it is so much easier to gain ideas and to learn about things when you have people to bounce those ideas off of. Yeah, we, we made this to talk with people about the games we love. And if there are people out there that want to talk with us about the games we love, even better, right? That's, that, was, that was the effectively the stated goal. We want to talk with each other about this, and if other people want to join in, sick. Well, that's about all we have for this week. Thanks for stopping by, listening to the Bards and Bees. Hope everybody has a good week. I think you're all beautiful.